Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church dear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. Uh, Blake, how do you feel about manscaping? You have to be a man to do manscaping, so I wouldn't know anything about that. Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. I'm your host, Blake Hodges, a man who is still hoping to graduate from millennial to manly man, and I'm here with my co-host, who is more manly than Chuck Norris and the Statue of Liberty himself, Toby Walters. Blake, do you even know who Chuck Norris is? Yes, because Toby, I have two black belts. So Chuck Norris is kind of my demigod. Um, I'd love to fight him one day just so I could say I got knocked out in two seconds by Chuck Norris. There's one of my favorite memes ever is uh, Chuck Norris and uh, Sylvester Stallone. And Sylvester Stallone is asking Chuck Norris, how many push-ups can you do? And Chuck Norris' response is, all of them. (laughs) I thought it was, well, you know, Sylvester Stallone is famous for taking just a ton of hits in Rocky. And then he's not even really a good boxer. He just takes all the pain and then you're tired and he knocks you out. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking, how many punches of Chuck Norris until he gets tired? Or does Sylvester Stallone's face just concave in? That's a good question. I think we should uh, put this to the test at Chuck, some point. Chuck Norris will win. I'm sure. So, uh, Blake, I'm, I'm a very hairy individual. And you somehow are like as smooth as a baby's bottom all over. Your, your wife does like a fluffy werewolf. And I think that's the, what she says. Yes. The werewolf comes from the hair. It's intense. Oh, 100%. That's what it we've, is. We've been on a boat together. I've seen things. <laughs> it's hairy. So we had our uh, quarterly offsite uh, leadership meeting just, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? Still, we, re- still recovering. We played this little game where everybody anonymously answered five questions. And the fifth question was, what's your favorite part of Toby's body? Cannot believe we're telling this publicly. <laughs> and uh, I believe your team, every answer was Toby's hairy something. Yep, and we will say nothing further uh, from there. <laughs> so uh, I, and it's it's so fun having a my son just turned eleven, and he is so proud of his armpit hairs. Oh, those hair that he's about to go full werewolf. And so he and he does you know he looks more like you at this point because he's eleven. He doesn't have a whole lot of hair. Like he doesn't have chest hair. He doesn't have facial hair yet, but he is so proud of his armpit hairs. He'll show them to me and say, look, dad, I'm becoming a man. Yep. If only that's all it took. Yeah. The world would be a better place if everyone was a man just from and, some armpit hair. And I I see you, Blake, at age 30 going to your dad and being like, look, dad, I've got three armpit hairs. I'm it, becoming a man. I think I've got like two and a half <laughs> right here. Uh, I remember in high school, um, Blake, have you seen much Seinfeld? No, I haven't, like but I know I know an episode. I know who you're talking about though. I know the cast. So there was one episode where Jerry starts trimming his chest hair cuz he thinks he's he has too much and he kind of gets carried away and he shaves his entire chest. And so me and my friend group in high school, we loved Seinfeld and so this kind of became a joke of okay, who's going to shave their chest? And sure enough, it was you. It was me. Oh my I was God. 
I was the first one. I was way before, you know, Channing Tatum and his, you know, oiled torso and everything. When you did that, did it come back five times fluffier? Well, you've seen me at Lake Day, Blake. What do you think? Yes. I think the answer <laughs> is yes and amen. So I just, I feel like manscaping has become this new um, kind of catchphrase and there's all these products and it, it's a real thing for real men, Blake. I know, you know, that's tough for you to understand with with whatever you've got, just smooth skin everywhere. You know, Adam Scheffner, uh, one of the, basically the top reporter for the NFL, he yeah. got banned from his work for a couple of weeks because he did an ad for Manscaped. <laughs> I wonder if there's a future for me in Manscaping I, ads. I think there is. They're I honestly there one is of the, too. the biggest podcast ads. Um, yeah. And, you know, speaking of uh, the most recent recipient of the best facial hair in production and the owner of Summit Integrations, Nick Kofal. Nick, welcome to the show. Do you plan on uh, shaving your beard mid-show? <laughs> Man, you guys would have to pay me a lot of money to do that. But uh, I, I've, maybe I will. Maybe, maybe next time. You know, I, I don't really have the tools in front of me to be able to make that happen, but uh, we can see what happens, you know. And Nick, Maybe do you remember where you and I met the first time? Was it at a shaving convention? I don't actually. So we were at the it, Salt it Conference in Nashville. That's right. A year and a half ago. And you were uh, combing your beard in the mirror in the, in the men's room. That's right. And so I stood next to you and I looked over and like, there's no mistaking that beautifully groomed facial masterpiece and he was sure enough he was <laughs> well thank you, know, you so he much was, he was grooming in the mirror see i remember when we first met nick because like that was our first conference my brain is on a, an 11 like just so excited and all i remember was you talked to some some guy who was a big deal and had cool shoes so <laughs> nick was the cool shoes guy before he was even the summit guy to me because i didn't mm -hmm. realize the summit thing until a bit later yeah so nick we've got well, your your five well. truths and a lie here um, is number one he's a big deal I, that well then I'm going to rule that out because I know that's true. All right, I'm I'm actually going to try and figure out if my team will put that on a business card. Mm. Like I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, like, let's see if that works. That would be it's really not funny. arrogant at all, but no. I, I could try. Yeah, well, what you do is you then put like a little animated version of your face, like just black and white pencil drawing of the beard too, and it's like the big deal is the beard. All right, wow, that's a good deal. I mean, honestly, my barber his business card is a is a small little black and white pencil drawing of his like face and his ginormous easy top beard. That's, that's what it is. That's, that's what I'm just that. describing. Yes. All right. Yeah. Nope. Maybe I should rip that off. You should. Number one, got into Bible college on an acting scholarship. Hmm. Number two, almost dropped out of college to become a professional snowboarder. Okay. Well, he lives in, uh, in Colorado in Denver area. So, this tracking this i like how this is a story right out of college i yeah. was in a christian hippie jam band <laughs> played percussion drums and played a showcase at the gospel music awards blake can you name a single hippie jam band i didn't know that was a category until right now but i love the term hippie jam band <laughs> okay finish this name the grateful dead you got it mm. Also, speaking of percussion, Ooh. I found out at dinner last night that my wife played in band all of middle school, and I just found that out. Oh, Blake. <laughs> do y'all oh, ever man. find out things about your wives? Y'all are, are a little further along at this point. Do you still find out surprising things at this point that you didn't know about their lives? I feel like it's I'm, I'm more surprised that she doesn't expect the things that I do still. She assumes that I'm going to be <laughs> more mature, and I'm like, have you not known me for 22 years now? That's probably what I'm surprised about. Mm. Yeah, All right. not so much for me. 
Number four, I got my start in the church world doing puppets ministry. <laughs> okay. That was a thing, Blake, back in the day. For, you, I missed a good era then. I don't know if it was a good era, but <laughs> it was an era. Number five, been on the leadership team of Summit for almost 10 years. I swear, if that's the line, it's like 11 years. I'm going to call foul. Number six, <laughs> coffee and hyphy nerd. Oh, my god! What is hi-fi? Hi-fi? Hi-fi. Hi-fi nerd. What, what is, is hi-fi short for, Blake? I'm assuming that's a type of drip coffee. No. Is it a, is it a musical thing? Yeah. Is it a band category? No. High Fidelity? Oh, the Taylor Swift song, High Fidelity. No. Oh, my gosh. Or wait, maybe it was High Infidelity. Dear God. I know. We're going to have a whole <laughs> new episode. This guy. <laughs> we need a whole new podcast on just, it's an entitled Educating Blake. Toby was literally messaging with my mom on Facebook last night talking about how he couldn't take the torch of parenting me from her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot about uh, just church and Christianity in here. What if the whole lie is he's like, I'm not actually even a Christian. <laughs> Satan worshiper for <laughs> sure. Okay. Oh, man. I don't think he got in. Well, no, I was, uh, this is hard. I'm going to say that he did not almost drop out of college to become a professional snowboarder. Well, dang it, Blake. I was going to choose that one too. So Suck I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to say that he was not in a hippie jam band after college. All right, Nick, we're locked in. What's your lie? Uh, well, you nailed it. Uh, I did actually almost drop out of college to snowboard full time, but it's not necessarily a profession. No one was paying me any kind of money. I was just kind of over school and done with it. And uh, I love the mountains. I actually lived, uh, my parents live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, I snowboarded at Santa Fe and angel fire and all those crazy places for years. And, uh, at that point in my college career, I was kind of done. I was like, you know, I don't know if this is for me. And so, uh, I had this real kind of moment where I was contemplating that, but, uh, no, I didn't actually become a professional snowboarder, but, um, it is a huge passion of mine. So, but the other stuff is actually all true. So I was definitely rocking the puppet ministry back in the day. So, um, I used to do voices <laughs> and, uh, Man, I loved it. It was great. It was really, really fun. But see, especially Nick, when you're a you know middle school and high school kid. College has served you so well. If you had dropped out, then what would you have used for three out of your six truths and a lie today? I mean, wasn't it worth those four years just for this moment? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it it all now has come into full like perspective that I think, you know, I I can't deny it, you know. So I I appreciate that that Bible college experience led me to where I am in this moment. So I'm grateful. So this uh, hippie jam band you were in right after college, is that very, you know, Fish and Grateful Dead-esque? Yeah, it was kind of like uh, Bob Dylan meets, uh, you know, the Grateful Dead. And uh, it was kind of this folk hippie jam band. It was called Stillwater Rhythm at the time. Uh, no connected, no connection actually to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I also lived for a season <laughs> uh, as a church planter. But um, it, uh, yeah, it was interesting. We used to open up for water deep and 100 portraits. And back in the day, there was this thing called Enter the worship circle, uh, that was kind of making its way through college campuses. And we were a part of kind of that wave of, uh, you know, hippie jam band, worshipy folk kind of music. It was just something different. Um, but yeah, I did actually play a showcase at the, uh, at some club, uh, during the week of gospel music awards kind of leading up to it. And then we actually played, uh, in the convention hall. Uh, it's almost like a trade show before the actual event itself, but 
we played there and it was kind of wild. We had a distribution deal, um, traveled around the Midwest, had some fun with it. But um, ultimately, man, like there was six of us trying to figure out how to do this full time. And uh, that that really there's not a lot of money in being in a hippie worship jam band thing. So ultimately, uh, we we all kind of bowed out gracefully and kind of moved on down the road. But. And did you ever have dreadlocks? No, I did have quite uh, quite long hair for a season. Um, I didn't have the beard at that moment, and uh, I did. I, I, it wasn't the prettiest look. I actually was going through some old photos the other day, and I was like, "What were you thinking, man? That was terrible." Um, but yeah, I, I had some long hair, but but nothing uh, nothing dread, dreaded up at all. I always thought that would be cool, but not for me. Nick, you need to send the photo of that to us so I can put a poll up on what's the better, better hair situation for you right now. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if that photo will ever be ready for public consumption. I mean, it might have been in a newspaper, a local newspaper clipping uh, in Springfield, Missouri at the time. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't think that's I don't think I'm going to send that to you guys. That's uh, that's a bad go. I think the next 20 work hours of mine will be going through Missouri news public records <laughs> on microfiche. Yeah. Somewhere around <laughs> somewhere around the early 2000s you'll find it. It's there. So. Uh Nick, can you explain to young little Blakey what hi-fi is? Well, so hi-fi is honestly I, I have a huge so anybody who has poured a ton of money into a beautiful record setup, um, I would say, um, is definitely starting down that road of hi-fi. Um, high fidelity, for me, it's like trying to get, I have this ridiculous dream system of, uh, you know, a hi-fi setup in my house. And ultimately for me, it's, I, I have a record player, but I also have an old CD player, which is really fun. I kind of broke out uh, during, I just got off the two month sabbatical. And during that time I bought a, an, an old Sony CD player so that I could break out all of my old school, uh, nineties alternative, you know, music that I can't necessarily find, um, on records. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the dabbling into that. But for me, getting back to the source of what was it originally kind of created. Um, and I think records kind of capture that depth and detail that ultimately you can't get in an MP3 file off Spotify, uh, off Spotify or Apple, uh, you know, iTunes or any of those other kind of music services. So for me, it's about purity. It's about, uh, the way the mix engineer wanted it to sound. Um, and ultimately trying to get to that uh, as best as we humanly can with our ears. So. Blake, I think you need to call your dad this afternoon and say, Dad, can you explain to me what a hi-fi system is? And then he will say something along the lines of, Son, I cannot believe how much I failed your education. No, see, my Toby, where do you think all this confidence comes from? My dad would not believe for a second he'd failed at something. <laughs> <laughs> he'd just be like, you idiot, you never listened to anything. We had a hi-fi system back at home when you were growing up. Well, speaking of, so that's like a record player, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, it's... It's a yeah, record player, but it's more than a record. Yeah, it's there's a pursuit in hi-fi that is um, where you're constantly moving from. I, and this is the thing. It's a rabbit trail. You can start with a record player. Most people do. And some decent speakers. And then you go, yeah, but there's you spend a little bit more money. You can actually get a little bit better sound. It's the same with, you know, lots of, uh, you know, even it translates to our production world in regard to. Um, you know, we don't really love the way this PA is sounding. Okay, cool. Well, now we're going to go down this road. That's a little bit nicer, a little bit more higher end, that kind of thing. And then the rabbit trail never stops. Um, cause you can't actually get to perfect. 
Um, I know people that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on hi-fi setups and it sounds good, but is it perfect? No. Uh, but that's the thing. It's like this love hate relationship. Um, and you can ultimately find yourself if you're not careful, uh, going crazy, trying to find that sound, um, and that perfection. It's like the pursuit of listening to music at the highest quality possible in your home environment. Guys, I don't want to make yeah. you sick to your stomachs with envy, but I actually have one of the first like record players ever made. Like I got this from my mom's mom and it was like, I think the 1940s. I need to get it refurbished. It's just been sitting in my upstairs. My mom was going to sell it on Facebook Marketplace. I had a hundred people message her and then was like, maybe this is worth more than I think mm -hmm. it is. And I was like, yeah, mom, you just give that to me. My cat will sit on it for yeah, 10 years, but I will get it refurbished eventually. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know that even at, it's almost like a collector's item at that point that I don't know that you would even want to play it. Um, I think it'd be one of those things that you'd want to dust off and kind of show as kind of, you know, a really cool thing. But, uh, you know, it might sound still, it might still sound good. Uh, depends. Technology's changed a little bit um, since then, but uh you know, it's, it's definitely worth leaning into. That's pretty cool. Do you have cocktail ingredients displayed nearby, Blake? See, my next house, I think that I'm going to like make this the centerpiece of a mm -hmm. room with the cocktail stuff around it. Yep. It's just in the center. Um, one last question before we move off of that, uh, since you guys are both audio nerds, I have always wondered this. Do CDs and records sound better than, as you say, like something off of your phone? Like just because it has a physical medium, it sounds better by default? Or is that just a assumption or a placebo? Well, yes and no. So, I mean, there's, um, so probably the best streaming service out there right now when it comes to getting the highest quality possible is, you know, if you can stream a master off of a title or something of that nature, um, it sounds great. It sounds really, really good. Um, but then you go into a CD situation and there is compression there uh, to make it fit on that disc. Um, and there is a certain crisp like kind of sound that comes from a cd that you just don't it's it's hard to replicate um and you wouldn't get it any other way and so i can literally go you know put a, a record on um and you get warmth you get depth you get detail uh the sound stage is massive um you can close your eyes and it feels like you're you're you know sitting in front of a stage and you can pick out where the different instruments are you can put a cd on the sound stage gets a little bit smaller um and everything is kind of um, you lose some of that, um, some of the tonality and some of the uh, dynamics, um, but it still sounds really good. Then you can throw on, you know, something from Apple Music or Spotify or something like that. And you go, oh, okay, it's not bad, but yeah, there's definitely some things missing. Um, and then if you're streaming off Tidal, that's the closest thing that I actually would listen to. I think Tidal sounds better than most CDs, um, in my opinion. But you also have to have a really great kind of streaming device to be able to handle that and a good uh, like DAC, a digital auto analog converter um, that will allow that to kind of be played through the system in a way that actually kind of keeps some of that richness and that warmth and that detail. Um, so that's that's been my experience, but I actually have done this um, experiment even with my kids who know nothing about any of this stuff. They love music and they're older. Um, I mean, I have a sophomore and I, she just finished her sophomore year in college and my son just graduated. Uh, well, he had his last day of high school yesterday. Um, he's graduating next week. So um, I've had them sit in my hi-fi room, close their eyes, and I've put on Miles Davis kind of blue 
um, on a record. I've, you know, put it on a CD. I've streamed it for them on three different services. And it's amazing how they immediately are like, they wake up um, depending on which uh, kind of version that I'm playing for them. Um, but everybody uh, comes back to the uh, airy warmth and detail that comes from a record versus anything else. And now I'm just imagining you as you're interviewing people for Summit, like part of the interview process is, okay, I'm going to put this blindfold on you, sit you down and see if you can tell the difference between these three sources. Because that's, you know, that's step one in maintaining a proper culture at a good integration company. You're, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> there's a, it depends <laughs> on the position. Um, you know, we have some really fun things that we do um, for interviews. And uh, I'll tell you, that's not one of them, but I'm certainly going to get off the uh, line here and talk to our HR team about <laughs> that should be the next uh, the next thing we do. And then ultimately, too, it would force me to build a really nice hi-fi setup here in the office, um, mm -hmm. which I wouldn't be mad, mad about. So that'd be kind of fun. That would be nice. But speaking of the Summit office, uh, tell us how you got into working at Summit. Uh, why have you devoted all your working years to becoming an integrator and what sets Summit apart? Tell us about, about the Summit difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, to be honest with you, um, I'm going to, we're going to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail because I never thought this is what I was going to do. Um, this wasn't in my mind or in my heart to do. Um, I'm a pastor's kid, a Bible college grad, a church planter, um, musician. And uh, I traveled around and spoke for a little while doing arts and creative conferences and doing different things. And um, I was in a church plant, uh, a part of a church plant in Stillwater, Oklahoma with um, the, we kind of had this college ministry that was exploding that we decided to do this wild experiment with, instead of just having a Thursday night service, uh, we decided to become a full on church, um, and try to see if we could make that happen. And so 15 of us were all support raising missionary missionaries for a season, um, to try and make this thing happen. We planted a church in the middle of the bar district of Oklahoma state university. We had nine bars within 150 feet of our front door. And we started with about 450 college kids. Um, and then a few families um, to kind of try and make that thing happen. I was there for about five years um, and we saw some really cool stuff. We saw some some great things happen. And then I also learned that um, as if this was new, but uh, college kids are broke. Um, and so ultimately um, that wasn't sustainable um, and uh, led a series of events. And I'm fast forwarding. Go check out my story on Summit TV if you haven't already. I kind of explain a little bit of that journey, but. Um, I pulled the ripcord and uh, through a series of events and just said, man, I'm out. I was burnt. I was fried um, and ultimately wasn't sure in that season of my life how um, I loved Jesus, but I was really just struggling with some things that I had experienced um, in the church world. Fast forward, we, uh, we left Stillwater. We moved to Colorado. We knew a couple people here, um, but not very many. And ultimately we we're like, you know, we're just going to, we got to start over. Um, I had two small kiddos at the time and uh, had a, a cool opportunity. I was a part of a coffee shop that I'd run in Oklahoma for a little bit. And we had plans to maybe do something out here uh, next to CU campus. And uh, all of that kind of fell through. I started working in the tech industry um, and because Boulder kind of has a little bit of like a Silicon Valley, mini Silicon Valley kind of vibe. There's a lot of VC startups and a lot of technology and a lot of stuff that's happening. And so I kind of stumbled into that. And, uh, and was playing music on the side um, with some con connections that I had had through the years of playing music before. And uh, 
found myself uh, at an arts and creative conference um, where I was playing drums and really didn't know quite what to do or how, why I was really there other than, hey, I'm going to play a set and I'm leaving. Um, next thing I know, I was asked to join the leadership team and I helped run that thing for seven and a half years or so. And uh, through that, I met the founder of Summit. I had asked, uh, I reached out to Chris Rayburn and said, hey man, would you be willing to sponsor us? And he said, well, let's have a Let's have a lunch. So we had a lunch together. He ended up saying no, um, but we struck up a friendship in that moment. And uh, three or four years later, he sent me a text message and said, hey, uh, I want to talk to you about an opportunity. And to be honest with you, like everybody, it seemed like in that era of time in the church world was getting into like Amway or uh, some sort of like multi-level marketing <laughs> thing where they were like, essential oils. you need vitamins and you know, yeah, it, 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 doTERRA, it just, I mean, they're not sponsoring this, so I probably shouldn't say anything, but um, there's a handful of like, uh, you know, multi-level marketing things were happening. And when someone, I, I had gotten a text several times about, um, or it was financial planning services. Um, and it was like, I was just so turned off by the, the wording of, hey, I want to talk to you about an opportunity. Opportunity. I was like, no, nah, man, I'm good. Like, no yeah. way. He's like, well, come meet me for dinner at least and let's talk about it. It's with Summit. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks for the clarity. Um, but I was set, man. I was, I was having fun. I was uh, employee number 13 at this crazy tech company um, where I was, it was a VC backed company and we were raising hundreds of millions of dollars together. I was helping them tell their brand story and figure out like their position in the market and all that kind of stuff. And doing ministry stuff on the side, I was happy. Um, but after I met with them, the wheels started turning and, um, we, we met it, we met up again. And after about three weeks of having conversation, I submitted all this to a bunch of, uh, business mentors of mine, uh, guys that aren't even believers. And every single one of them were like, you're stupid if you don't take this job. Um, and so I did, and, uh, I came on to do some sales, to do some marketing, um, and, uh, almost eight ish seven and a half eight years later uh myself and my business partner tyson we bought the the company from the founder and uh now we own it so it's wild we were 23 people then and now we're pushing over 60 65 ish people um and uh you know things have grown things have evolved and things have changed um and i'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here so and nick you uh every time i talk to you it feels like you know there's hundreds of integrators out there but there's just like, there's a little something that makes you guys different, you know, from, you know, kind of your passion, your heart. What, what do you tell churches, potential clients that like, why are you guys different than every other integrator? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, um, that's a great question. And to be honest with you, I, I struggle to answer it because, um, you know, I've got friends in this industry that are other integrators and I think they do great work and, um, I have much respect for them. Um, and so I try not to get too much into the comparison game uh, when it comes down to it, because we are all different. Um, I think our approach is different. Um, I think that we constantly, um, I, I don't fully know the ins and outs of their process, but I know that for us, most of the people on our team are people who care very, very deeply about the Capital C Church. Um, they've either come from it, they've worked in it, um, or have been on staff at churches, you know, kind of a thing. Um, but for us, we really care about not so much about, yes, we are a technology company. That's not the, that's not the driving factor behind what we do. What we're trying to do is trying to figure out who the church is. 
Um, we want to understand what their mission is. What's the story of God in their community? What is it that they feel they're called and created to do? And then how can we match that with a technology solution? So regardless of the project, you're going to see some names and some brands that are probably very similar, but the way in which they overlap or the way they're implemented, I should say, is, is much different um, based on the mission and the vision of the church. And I think for us, it's a, it's not about let's do the coolest, dopest technology, which I, I do love. And I think that's great. And at times we get to, to flex in that particular way. But really the thing that drives us is trying to leverage technology to help communicate the gospel. Uh, for us, we take it down to the, we start thinking about the person sitting in the seat and that's the driving force behind what we do. Um, for me, it's marriages are going to be healed in this environment. We're creating a space where people are going to be able to walk away from addiction, um, where they're going to get to bump into Jesus for the first time and be radically saved. That to me is what blows my hair back and gets me out of bed. Um, technology is a, is the way and the vehicle that kind of helps us do that. Um, and I think we have a really smart team and a really great group of guys um, and ladies that are working here uh, to kind of help all further that mission. Um, and, you know, that, that to me is really what kind of, I would say is different maybe about us, but that's something that it's not just something we put on a t-shirt or we put on our website. It's something we actually really care about. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, man, we're, we're just trying to make an impact uh, in the church world um, and ultimately in communities across the country. And I assume you have to do a lot of uh, managing of expectations. I can imagine a uh, church reaching out and saying, hey, I just watched uh, Transformations live stream and we want to accomplish that at our church. And somebody recommended you guys. Like, Where does that conversation start for you and the church? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, this is uh, that's honestly the conversation that we have all day long, every day is we saw this and we'd like to do that. that's cool. That's, that's a great way to start the conversation. But in reality, we want to dig in a little deeper. Um, We actually want to understand like, why do you want to do that? Um, And I think that one of the things that um, we constantly hear because Life Church is a, as a client of ours and has been for years, we've been journeying in conversations with them for 10 plus years. I mean, even before I was around. And ultimately when someone says, well, if it's good enough for Craig, I want that in my system, you know, it's like, well, okay, wait, hold on. This has evolved over the years. And ultimately, we need to kind of take a step back and figure out where is it that you really want to go? What's the driving force behind the statement of I want to do that? Um, And then ultimately, we start to ask some questions around budget um, and timelines. And and a lot of times, we get a lot of people with, um, there's a lot of folks that I just don't think they understand the costs when it comes down to some of the technology solutions that some of these big churches that we see on, you know, YouTube or having our own apps to, you know, stream services from, I don't think we fully understand um, the budgets that they have, um, as well as also the purpose behind why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, if you think about Life Church, 90 plus percent of the over 90 uh, percent of the people that are, are seeing Craig's messages are watching through the lens. Um, they're, they're not there. You know what I mean? It's, it's all video teaching. And so ultimately, they've poured a a great expense into their video system, which is gorgeous and amazing and does great things for them to allow them to do what they feel like they want to do and what they're called to do. Um, But if you look at it, they don't have the craziest PA. They don't have the craziest consoles. They don't have, and that's intentional. Um, And so I think that a lot of people that's missed on them. 
Um, and they just kind of try and look at it as if it's a buffet. They're like, we want the video system from a transformation elevation or a life church. We want the, uh, you know, worship to be just like elevation. And so we want it to melt your face off. Um, and we want this, that, and the other, and we've got a Burger King budget. And I go, Oh, wait, 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 hold on a second. Like we got to understand expectations and we got to understand like, where is it that you're really trying to go and why? And then from there, we can start to kind of really have some of those conversations about how we implement some technology to help them. So uh, Blake and I had a, a fun little uh, interaction where... Where is this going? I was completely in vision <laughs> land and Blake was completely in tactical land. Is that where you live, Blake? Yeah, the tactical tank. And so we were uh, you know, negotiating or arguing over video budget to meet my expectations. So as you, you know, approach projects with churches, like who do you need to pull in and make sure they're on the same page? Do you need the, do you need the lead pastor and the tech guy to understand, you know, the same language to know what the, you know, the vision versus the budget is actually going to get both of them? And is it the exec pastor also yeah. being pulled in so that someone will actually approve the purchase of all of this? <laughs> yeah. When uh, it's usually a mix of all of those, to be honest with you. And early on in my summit, uh, career, I um, kind of the typical MO was we would get called by a uh, you know production guy at the church, tech fella at the church. Um, oh, our PA is terrible, and our you know we want a new console, we want all this. And I'm like, cool, that's you know that's roughly a couple hundred thousand dollars, or you know whatever the case may be. Um, and then we'd start asking questions about vision, or we'd ask questions about the church, and it would like slowly trailing off. Did I catch a niner in there? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> what's happening right now. Like there wasn't, there was some things there that weren't quite translating from uh, leadership into technology. Um, and so it felt like for a, a few seasons there, all we were doing was creating wish lists uh, for tech guys at churches to go try and pitch to their leadership um, and figure out like, um, you know, how is this uh, really going to work? And can I get some money so I can go buy this thing? Um, that dog won't hunt. Um, at the end of the day. And so for us, we actually try really hard to get someone from the executive leadership team to be a part of the conversation, someone, you know, hopefully an exec pastor, um, because a lot of times what we find is that what the production folks want versus the actual perceived need of the leadership team is different. Um, and so trying to get them to talk and to get them to have conversation and facilitate that um, is kind of an awkward, tense place to sit at times. Um, but ultimately, in the end, I think it helps us have a more successful outcome when we can actually get them all speaking and in the same language and understanding each other. Um, I have a you know a situation right now where um, there's a there's a pastor friend of mine um, who his tech guys engaged us um, and had this ginormous list of you know, stuff that they wanted. Um, and when you start asking them where they're getting their influences from, there's, it's all the usual names. Um, but then if you talk to the pastor um, and the leadership team, all they want is simple church. All they want is, you know, a, a few, a, a good sounding PA, um, lights that aren't freaking anybody out. Um, and they want every seat to be able to hear the gospel. Um, they don't necessarily care about LED walls and, you know, high production and all those things. They want it tasteful, clean, and simple, completely opposite of what was being presented originally. And so trying to help facilitate that, you have to sit in awkward and uncomfortable 
Um, but in the end, I think the church wins and we win when we're a little less um, antsy to just fulfill the needs of one individual and go, wait, 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 guys, for us to do this and for you to do this and to have scale and to have sustainability and to have a great impact in your church, we need to circle the wagons here around vision and around what you really want to do. Where is it that you see the church in five years from now? And then ultimately kind of tease some of those things out that helps become the lens that we filter everything through. And do you kind of feel like God has uh, uniquely gifted you to kind of see both angles since you lived in the pastoral world and you also get the tech side? Yeah. You know, it's funny you say it that way. Um, up until a couple of years ago, I don't know that I would have uh, been able to articulate it in that or say it in that particular way, because I kind of have always said, man, I just sort of stumbled into this. Right. But if scripture is true, I had a good friend remind me of this the other day. If scripture is true and it says the steps of the righteous are ordered uh, by God, then ultimately I would agree with you and say that all of my past history, background as a musician, as a speaker, as a communicator, um, as a pastor's kid who my dad was a professional guitar player, like I've always cared about these things and I've been the beneficiary of these things. Um, and I speak the language um, of both sides. And so ultimately, I think that we as Summit, we get the opportunity to kind of sit in that land and straddle the fence between the two. Um, and ultimately, that's why, um, you know, a huge percentage of the work that we do, I, I believe, is, is just repeat work from the same clients, um, because ultimately we forged something there from a place of relationship um, that we've grown as they grow. Um, and that's been a huge part of our success. So, Blake, if we follow that logic, does that mean that God ordained you to sit next to me here and be the first full-time employee at Church Gear and I mean, lead was, the brand? Yes, was this sir. Punishment for my sin? Here's the thing, Toby. I'll tell you what I told my <laughs> wife the other day. If you actually were punished for your sin, you wouldn't live two seconds. So, you know, I mean, we can't That's bear a good it. Point. You can't bear it. And is your marriage to uh, Allison punishment for her sin too? Is oh, hundred percent. <laughs> But see, I'm, you know, it's a slow punishment. Speaking of punishment, um, you know, leaving a project could feel that way to a church. Um, and not all projects go smoothly. Um, so tell us, like, what would make Summit walk away from a project? What's some signs that, you know, a church wants to be a customer? They have those grand visions, like you said, but you can tell they're not really ready, whether it's, you know, their staff communicating well amongst each other or the size of the project et cetera, et cetera. Um, what do you do in those moments? How do you handle that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, um, well, let's say, I'll say it this way. We've never taken a client on and then left a project. We've never done that. Um, we've never just been like, nope, we're out, pull the ripcord, see ya. Um, no, we have turned a lot of work away. Um, that's part of, um, you know, that's part of just business, right? When it comes down to, it could be everything from their timeline and budget doesn't align. Um, it means they, you know, they, we can't get gear in time, you know, things like that. If there's a bunch of demands and it's like, yeah, I can't make that happen. Um, we have roughly 55 to 60 ish projects a year that we do. And ultimately I only have so many people and I only have so much bandwidth. So sometimes that would be a situation that we would say, Oh man, I'm so, so sorry that we can't make that happen. Um, mainly the reason why uh, we would not take a project on is that it just doesn't fit relationally uh, for us. We're actually not looking for another business transaction. We're looking for relationship and partnership. Um, and if it doesn't necessarily feel like that right up front, um, or if we feel like we're just a commodity, um, hey, we need 
we need a bed and give us a price and see you later. It's like, well, okay, wait, like that's, that's that's not fun. Like that doesn't get us out of bed in the morning. Right. And so ultimately for us, we go through a pretty extensive process of kind of interviewing and talking through some of these things with the client uh, to really get a sense of just as much as they're interviewing us, we're interviewing them um, and trying to make sure that this is a good fit for our team. Because truthfully, man, like uh, I feel like us as client relations, like the people that are out front having these conversations with churches, we're the keepers of the door to our organization. Um, And ultimately I've got 60 something people behind me um, that I want to make sure that if I introduce them to this person, I'm introducing them to a friend, um, someone that they can work with, someone that they can have a relationship with and someone that will, there's a mutual level of respect, um, and kindness going back and forth. And so, uh, for me, I'm really thinking about protecting my team because just cause, uh, there's a lot of dysfunction in the church world. Um, we've seen this over and over and over again. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, that's just the case where church is made up of, uh, human beings, which are broken and fallible and all kinds of things. And so ultimately, sometimes that dysfunction kind of creeps its way into some of these transactions. Um, and I'm really, really, really cautious um, to sniff some of that stuff out because ultimately um, I need to protect my my team um, and the mission and the heart um, that, that these guys carry. Um, because ultimately, man, we really do care about trying to um, treat our people internally um, with, with a ton of care and a ton of kindness. And ultimately, uh, we want this to be a really great environment for them. And sometimes I have to say it, there are some churches um, or some uh, organizations that we've come in contact with that it's an environment I really wouldn't want to put my people in. I know that sounds harsh and mean, but it's truth. Um, and, and so ultimately for us, man, we've been really fortunate uh, to have great partnerships with some incredible churches doing really cool stuff um, to reach their communities. but. Um, just because we get the phone call doesn't mean we're going to take the project. Um, I, it, it just doesn't always work out that way. But sometimes when budget and expectations don't necessarily align or we sniff out some kind of dysfunction uh, relationally, um, or if it just feels like a commodity type, hey, give me this and I want speakers, hang them. It's like, eh, I don't know. I, that's not really our jam. Uh, we want to work with cool people and we really want to feel like we're, we're in this thing as a relationship, not a transaction. And how often, Nick, do you guys have to like come in and clean up somebody else's mess? And we won't say any names, but I'm often. assuming that happens. Yeah, often. Yeah, um, there's uh, there's a lot of folks um, that we've encountered over the years. I mean, someone's been in business for 26 years, so this is we've been around the game for a minute, um, and I've been here for almost 10. And uh, there's there's different there's different moments of that, or different kind of styles where people were over promised something and under delivered um, or uh, midway through the project, there was something that happened relationally that a, 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 you know, a, a contractor was fired um, or uh, someone came in and sold a church a bill of goods a few years ago. Um, and it was an astronomical price. Um, there was one specific one. I remember right now where uh, the church had paid some crazy amount of money um, for a whole system. And ultimately, man, it was the weirdest PA design that I had ever um, encountered in my life. And ultimately, uh, you know, we, we've got signed on, we took that thing down, redeployed it, added some things to it, tried to help the church save some money. um, But we wanted to do it the right way. Um, And so we, we see that often, unfortunately, 
Um, and, uh, and at the end of the day, it's like, man, we really believe in bringing excellence to the table and trying our best, um, at every single one of these projects. We say we're only as good as our last install project. Um, and we do a constant debrief. Um, I mean, we have six, almost 700 projects probably under our belt at this point. Um, but we're at a point of going, man, we're only as good as the last one. So, and we have all kinds of points along the way where we're checking in with the client, we're checking in with our internal team, we're checking in with the trades to make sure that we're not just like saying that as something grandiose and this cool idea to shoot for, but are we actually hitting it? Um, and if not, then what measures are we taking um, to have some course correction and to, to really help uh, make sure and ensure um, that we do a good job for the church because they deserve it. Um, this message is too important uh, for us to just sort of uh, kind of throw up just, uh, you know, whatever kind of an effort, uh, for us, it's like, man, it's, just, we're all in on this thing. So, um, it's important for us to do that. And what are some of the like most common mistakes you see churches make when they, you know, cut corners or they don't do their homework on hiring an integrator that takes them for a ride? Do you see like these, these common things that are coming up over and over again that you guys have to come in and, and redeploy, so yeah. to speak? Yeah. I mean, so there's going all the way back to even like a bid scenario. Um, there's this thing in the church world where uh, church boards love three bids. Um, and ultimately, uh, you know, even if the church has an existing relationship with an integrator, a lot of times when it comes to a project, they're like, well, just to check price, we need three bids on this, you know, and it's like, cool. Um, not all those bids are the same. Um, there's a major difference between, uh, you know, a turnkey solution. Um, versus uh, someone who's going to bill you labor later. Um, and ultimately, I've seen that come back to bite churches. Um, they'll go, hey, here's our number um, from an integrator. And, you know, it's less than everybody else. And so the board's like, that's the one. And then later they get several bills for just, oh, what's this $20,000? What's this $40,000? Oh, well, that's labor for the project that we didn't put in our original you know, quote, and it's like, oh, well, that's different. Right. And so that's kind of uh, not necessarily apples to apples. Um, and then I think, too, um, churches don't necessarily fully understand what, uh, you know, they're getting sometimes when it comes down to uh, trade coordination and how in-depth that really is. Um, some integrators like to work with other trades. Some people don't. Um, they want it to be, hey, as soon as the building's done and you've got your CO, then we'll come in and figure it out. Uh, after the fact. Um, well, that's not necessarily great because um, usually when churches get their certificate of occupancy, they want to start having church immediately. And so ultimately it's, it's kind of a mess there. Um, the other things that we see is when it comes to skimping and cutting corners is a lot of times people will fight us on um, acoustics. Ah, uh, we don't really need that. Okay. Well, <laughs> trust me, you do. Uh, well, we'll just do it ourselves. Okay, that's great. You can totally do that. Here's kind of what we would recommend. And we always come up with a design and a plan and try and help them. Um, but when people skimp on that, um, it really takes away from this incredibly nice PA that they just purchased. Um, the fidelity is just not there. Um, the intelligibility from a speaking perspective isn't there. Um, and ultimately, too, if the room is super live and vibrant, um, you know, anytime someone gets up that has any sort of like a high heel shoe on or anything, you can hear it, you know, across the, the congregation and then ultimately you're distracted and you just completely lost that point that the pastor was talking about. So 
you those types of things are ways in which they you know folks can sometimes be short-sighted um and then also too i think um when it comes down to it you see sometimes people um they want the immediate right now and they don't necessarily think about how they're going to use it you know what else is you know potentially in the works a handful of years um you know from now and so ultimately they put in these sometimes they put in systems that you would go, okay, cool. But then you get the phone call two years later. Well, actually we need to do X, Y, or Z or, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, I would always just tell people to, to not be short-sighted, to really do your homework and to really ask a lot of questions. Um, we actually had an, a situation where there was a multiple bid scenario and uh, uh, we kept getting all these weird questions around labor and travel and some other stuff. Cause we're, uh, you know, 95% of the work that we do is outside of the state of Colorado. So there's going to be some of those costs involved, but, um, when it came down to it, the integrator that we were coming against, um, there, all those numbers looked really, really small for them, but come to find out later, they had this ginormous number for shipping. Um, and it was like, wait, wait, hold on a second. There's, there's a ton of money here. Um, that ultimately is not just, it can't cost that much money to ship a few pieces of gear from your spot to this location. And you're actually a heck of a lot closer than we are. Um, so ultimately that's where sometimes people get a little creative with how they put those bids together so that it looks good for a board, but in reality, it's just not apples to apples. Um, unfortunately, that's just kind of the game that's played sometimes. Like, I almost feel like I should have gotten multiple bids before hiring you. Cause I'm wondering like, are you, you know, I don't pay you. Are you going to bill me for labor later? Is that what's going to happen? Oh, Toby, the the labor with interest is coming. Um, it's going to be intense. Uh, this, the, the, this the juice like is rolling disaster. on that one, buddy. And uh, <laughs> speaking of something uh, that could be intense, I've got to ask this question. It was my favorite on the outline. I'm sorry, Toby, but it, I, this is where I want to go here. Um, tell us uh, some blunt truths you've had to give. Um, not some blunts you've given, but some blunt truths <laughs> that you've had to give. Was that too oh, far? I mean, no, we, he was in a jam band. Yeah, no, we, there were blunts involved, we, I'm sure. I was in a jam band. We're in Colorado. You know, hey, it is what it is. So um, you, you don't have to, you, you could pick all three if you have one, but even if it's just your favorite of the three, have you ever had to, what's a blunt truth you've had to communicate either to a pastor, an executive pastor, or a church tech on, a, on one of these integration projects, whether it's, hey, man, this is going to cost more than you think, or, hey, man, this isn't going to do the vision you have, or, hey, man, this is going to, you know, not fulfill all of your wildest dreams as a tech Man, that's a tough one, to be honest with you. I think um, blunt truth is something that's um, you first have to have relationship so that you can get into that. Um, if not, you just come across as super rude and arrogant and mean. Well, that's where the blunt comes do. That's where the blunt comes in before the truth. <laughs> right. So um, I like to try and figure out how to kind of lace that delicately, but I think that there's been oftentimes we've had um, we've had some some churches that uh, you know when they do a new building project it's always interesting. Um, sometimes they have funding, they have cash on hand. Sometimes they have to work with a you know specific uh, funding institution as well as like a general contractor. And sometimes that general contractor can um, hold the the budget real real tight. Um, so we've had some hard conversations around um, when in some scenarios like that where the general contractor funding institution told us this is the budget no matter what. Um, and then we've had a church go, yeah, but we want all of this. And it's like, Oh, uh, those that doesn't work. <laughs> and so ultimately 
our job is never to tell them what they can't afford and what they can't afford. That's not my role um, at all as Summit. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to always try and take what churches are trying to do and get that within the budget that's being allotted. And if we can't get there, then ultimately it's a conversation around expectation um, and also ultimately about finances. Um, in that particular scenario, we were showing uh, a church, a bunch of different systems around a certain area uh, in the country. We're touring through some stuff um, of all systems that would have appeased the budget um, and pastor was not having it. Um, and so ultimately um, we just had to pull him aside and go, look, because um, you could tell he was like, this isn't what I'm wanting. This isn't where I want to go. This isn't. OK, well, then we have to have a fundraising conversation or we need to get um, the you know funding institution on board a little bit more uh, to help be able to fulfill the vision that you're looking for. Um, I'm not going to be the guy to tell you yes or no. Um, I'm going to always try and figure out how we can do it based on the dollars that are being presented. But in this particular case, we had to pull the pastor aside and have a hard conversation around uh, expectations of what he was wanting versus the budget that the funding institution was giving him. Um, and his words to me were, don't you worry about it. I got it. And I was like, okay. Um, and ultimately, I think uh, I think he, he raised like three times the amount of what um, the... <laughs> funding institution said, um, and he got the system he wanted. Let's just say that. <laughs> and so, um, that's one way to go about uh, it. He knew some people with some, with some funding opportunity that would want to fund an opportunity like this and ultimately was able to make it happen. The other that I think would be a blunt truth is, um, more so with production people, um, they just get really excited and locked in on the latest and greatest piece of gear. Uh, um, and it's really evident sometimes when that piece of gear is really being filtered through their wants and needs versus the overall vision of the church. Um, and it, it can create a lot of relational uh, tension between leadership and the tech folks. Um, and so I've had to coach a number of, of tech people through um, tempering their excitement around the things that they want and really setting, stepping outside of that and, and beginning to ask some questions around um, what is it that the leadership wants um, and how do you begin to create relationship because ultimately they have no relationship. It's a, uh, there's most of the time that relationship between the production folk and anybody on the executive team is, is pretty minimal. Um, and it's really, really hard when you're trying to create synergy. Um, if you don't know the mind and the heart of your pastor, how is it that you're going to be able to make good technology decisions for the community going forward? Um, that's a terrible place of stewardship. Um, you're just literally shooting into the dark and hoping you hit something. And so for me, it's it's the reason you're having so much difficulty or so much challenge is because when was the last time you knocked on your pastor's door or went to his assistant and said, hey, I need 10 minutes with him. I'd love to bring him a coffee and just sit down and talk um, and hear about his heart and figure out what it is that we're trying to do so that I can support him better. Um, that's uh, That doesn't happen all that often. Um, and ultimately, it's something it's a conversation that I wish more and more production folks would actually do. Um, Get out from behind the console, get out from, um, you know, the, the tech space and go figure out what's going on with the leadership, figure out who they are as people, because they can become not only your big advocate, um, but they can become your biggest fan. And ultimately, there's unity and synergy that's created, relational currency that's built and uh, things go a heck of a lot smoother. Like, I feel like we still need that uh, having a hard conversation with your pastor episode. I feel like it needs to be a bonus episode at some point because... 
that can be a, a scary thought as uh you know, Nick, you're, I'm sure you've experienced this. Like the tech guy almost feels like, Hey, I'm the only person on staff that doesn't have pastor in my title. I, I can't go to my senior right. pastor and yeah, you can. It's just, you got to approach yeah. it with, you know, respect and do it the right way. But yeah, it's super important to build that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one that I hear all the time. And honestly, man, sorry to cut you off. I just think that, um, most people think that that's a, that's a, that's not possible. Um, and I just say, man, that's, how is it then that you're supposed to support the community, uh, from a technology perspective? Um, if you actually don't know what the vision and the mission is from the pastor himself, um, or anybody on the executive team at that matter. Um, and so ultimately I think that it's really important to um, foster that relationship and to begin to build as much relational currency as possible. Um, most of the time, those relationships are really just kind of, hey, the this piece of gear failed. I've got three quotes on what I want to replace it with. Are you okay with me doing one of these? You know, and it's like, okay, wait, that's nuts. You're asking for anywhere from you know tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars in that moment. And you've not once sat down and had a coffee with that guy and asked anything about life and told them anything about your story. Um, and you expect uh, for that to go smoothly. Um, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. Um, I know even when my kids who are, you know, 17 and 19 come to me and go, dad, I need X from a dollar's perspective. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Like, let's talk about this. <laughs> um, so if you think, you know, magnify that you have no relationship other than uh, you hand him his microphone before he goes out on stage potentially. Um, and, you know, or you're in the booth during sound check and you come to them wanting hundreds of thousands of dollars and you've not paved the way of relationship. Um, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Um, and I don't know that if that's a, it, that that's a sustainable approach. Um, and it's probably not the best approach in my opinion. See, this is why I spent three years getting to know Toby before I asked him for the 12K I needed for the video <laughs> gear, and it still went poorly. No, you asked me for 15 grand, and I said, I bet you could do it for 10, and then you ended up spending around 12. Yes. So we negotiated. Yeah. Yeah. But but that is honestly, and all joking aside, I mean, me and Toby spent a great deal of time together, and that was still probably top three most difficult work moments we've had. So you really do need that relationship before you start talking big budgets. Um, you know, well, Nick, it's trust. Yeah. It's just trust, you know, time spent equals trust. So ultimately that's one of the things that people try to fast track past and think, Oh no, this is, this is going to be fine. No, it, it's not actually. <laughs> um, you know, we got to think about this a little bit bigger. Do you hear that? Toby, Nick just said, it's not going to be fine. Toby's like motto at church gear is it'll be fine. I just heard that you and I have to spend <laughs> more time together. It'll be fine. No, it won't. <laughs> it will not be fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Nick, I'd like for you to pull one more um, rabbit out of your hat um, to wrap us with a tech takeaway, man. Uh, give us something that uh, if you had a group of church tech directors with you, you would. this would be your unique piece of advice. And feel free to make it integrator uh, focused if you'd like, since that's totally your world, um, or something just from your church yeah. days. Yeah, you know, I think... Um, I think there's a couple of things I would say, um, you know, this is something that was mentioned earlier. There's pastor is not necessarily in the title of most tech people. Um, but yet you're responsible for 
translating the mission and the vision of the church into uh, a technology, you know, situation there and being able to use technology to help the mission of the gospel go forward um, and the mission of the community go forward. Um, you have a whole slew of volunteers that it takes uh, to, you know, pull that off and to make that happen. Um, and ultimately to ignore the thought um, or to completely just say, no, that's not me. If you are not pastoring your volunteer team and caring for them, um, then I think you're missing a huge opportunity uh, to make a difference in your community. If you really want long-term sustainability with your uh, volunteer team, you have to begin to care for their hearts more than you care for uh, the fact that they're a body sitting in a position helping you execute on the weekend. And so ultimately, these are people who are giving of their time, um, of their talents and of their resources. And these people are walking through life um, and life is really messy and life is really sticky. Um, you have no idea what they're dealing with at work. You have no idea um, what they're dealing with at home. Um, but even a simple, hello, how are you doing? Um, is there anything crazy going on in your week? Is there a way that I could pray for you? Or is there something I could pray for you about? Um, that would go a long way um, into creating a healthier culture within your tech volunteer team. So don't ignore um, the role and the responsibility to pastor and to steward people. Um, we always talk about stewardship as a thing of money, um, but it's actually, I would say, you got to take that further and think about people's time um, and think about people's hearts and how are you uh, managing and stewarding um, their investment in the ministry. Um, and so I think that that's one of the biggest things. Um, the second uh, kind of takeaway that I would say is if you haven't had or do not have a more regular sync up with someone on the uh, or point of connection with someone on the executive team, stop listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> uh, put it on pause, come back to it later, um, schedule an appointment, buy a coffee um, and ask for, you know, 15, 20 minutes of their time um, just to get to know who they are. Um, because ultimately, um, I just think it's really, really, really important uh, for those teams to create relationship because ultimately, um, I mean, how many uh, tech guys do I talk to throughout the year that say, man, I just feel like I'm on an island. Um, I don't feel like I have any connection or I feel like I'm just, you know, responsible to, you know, get here super early, make everything happen. And then uh, it's a thankless job. And the only time I hear from somebody is when something goes wrong. Okay, cool. What are you doing about that to change it? Um, instead of just accepting that as a reality, I think it's important to take ownership of it and say, maybe you, you aren't approachable, or maybe they don't feel like you're approachable, um, or maybe they don't understand you. And so therefore they've avoided you. Um, well, okay. That's not awesome. However, I think you can do something about it. Um, and I think that it starts with just saying, hey, could you open the door to relationship? It means putting yourself out there. You might get rejected the first time or it might be incredibly awkward. Um, that's just part of life. Um, and ultimately lean into the uncomfortable, lean into the awkward and pave relationship because it's very, very, very important to start putting some deposit in, in deposits in the relational currency bank. Because there are going to be moments where you're there, those deposits are going to be withdrawn, and so ultimately you want a few more in the bank than uh, than than necessary. I would say. 
Man, that volunteer thing really strikes deep because uh, my best friend's a worship pastor and his volunteer team has gone from six to 20 something. And he talks about like their personal lives and how it weighs on him and like how he really feels the pastor part of the worship pastor, maybe even more so than the worship part. Um, so that's, that's really true. That's really good, Nick. Man, we, uh, we appreciate you coming on. What would you like to plug? Other than Summit, obviously. Yeah, check us out, summitintegrated.com. And, uh, you know, always hit us up on socials. Um, we've got a bunch of cool things that are uh, being launched and in the midst right now. We actually are um, working on some neat things. I can't totally tease out everything, but there's a thing called Link that's coming um, that's going to be kind of a, a coaching development development kind of platform. Uh, we've created a bunch of incredible content um, that's really helpful, um, not just from a leadership perspective, but also from a tech perspective on, um, you know, certain things around, uh, you know, all kinds of different topics. But um, we're, we're launching that and there's ultimately a, a cohort uh, where we're putting a bunch of different people together from all different, you know, areas um, and all different sized churches and we're learning and growing together. Um, so for us, it's more so than just Hey, we're always going to train on the systems that we install, but there's an ongoing development piece that I think is really necessary, especially in this day and age where we're seeing uh, tech and production folks and creatives kind of dropping like flies in the you know in the church communities and going, "Man, I'm out. I'm done. I don't. I'm not resourced enough. I feel alone. I'm on an island." Blah blah blah. blah. You know. So for us, we're really trying to um, try and help connecting people's character with their craft um, and trying to help them stay in the game. Um, because ultimately, I believe that, um, you know, we have a really cool opportunity to, to make an impact in the church world, um, because as we do that and we serve the church and we serve the community, they have some wind in their sails and a little bit of a spring in their step to go and serve their communities. And ultimately, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have to wait till heaven uh, for we start to see the kingdom of God kind of transforming communities. And so for us, that's one of the things that we're doing right now. That's awesome, man. We, uh, we definitely see a lot of people dropping like flies, as you say. I mean, th- we've kind of joked if everybody leaves the church to be an integrator or to work at church gear or to work at MXU or wherever, like all these people that serve the church, we're like, who's going to be left at the church if everyone leaves? So right. that's great. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a big problem, and it's definitely something that kind of keeps me up at night. Um, the amount of phone calls I get from folks saying, hey, I want to come work for, for you or for someone like you. Do you know anything? Do you have any openings? I'm like, Okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Let's actually really like search this out to make sure we understand uh, what we're getting ourselves into. But um, man, for me, uh, part of my story was burnout um, and ultimately um, some church hurt and some church abuse. There's you see that across the board. A bunch of us have it. We could all you know raise our hands and tell a, a crazy horror story. But truthfully, man, um, you know I believe there's something beautiful when we stay in the game um, and ultimately continue to keep fighting. Uh, for what we believe in and, and, you know, being led by the Holy Spirit and allowing the heart of Jesus to be, uh, you know, made present in what we're doing. I think it's really important, but um, it's important to also have community and people you can talk to and folks that will help encourage you um, and say they see you, um, you know, because I think that's one of the things about tech folks. I mean, I know we joke all the time. We're always in black. And we're always faded into the shadows, um, but um, it's really important for us as an integrator and as a company that gets to kind of work alongside a lot of these great communities to look a lot of these folks in the eyes and go man i see i see your investment i see what you're doing i see your heart um and your devotion to excellence and try and help build people up help uh help kind of just uh hopefully shoulder some of that weight and some of that burden a really encouraging word to go out on 
Nick, we think we appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope to see you back next week for more absurd stories, tech takeaways, and overall buffoonery here at the Church Gear Studios. Blake, have you ever wondered what is underneath this uh, beautiful exterior uh, just covered in hair? I would guess uh, blood and guts and organs. No, I mean, there's skin underneath my hair. Toby, are you inviting me to look at your skin? I'm this just, is getting weird. I mean, I'm just saying, if, if I shaved, I would basically be Chuck Norris. Oh, well, no, Chuck Norris always has a beard. You know why Chuck Norris has a beard? Because only Chuck Norris can ch- cut Chuck Norris. <laughs> and what would cut us deep to our soul and make us feel great is if uh, you said, you know what, this episode, I should text it to a buddy. Don't you think so, Toby? Don't you think that'd make us feel good? I think they should text this episode along with... With their favorite Chuck Norris meme. Yes. That's going to make your buddy's day. Or just, you know what? Screw it. Let's be weird. Just post your favorite Chuck Norris meme and tag us, and I'll repost at least one of those at random with no context. It'll be hilarious. Beautiful. Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church gear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-A-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke. That didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? You know what? That one works.